Father, Lord, we come to you right now in the name of Christ. Father, we don't take this time for granted, Lord, that we can come fellowship with one another and be together and exalting Christ and glorifying and honoring you. Father, we thank you that we have the ability to assemble together. We thank you that, that you've given us your word that we can have, that we can read it, that you can speak to us through your word, Father. And Lord, I just ask right now that you would get me out of the way. Lord, I pray that there wouldn't be any distractions in this room, Father. And Lord, I ask that by your blessing, that the word would go forth, Father. Again, Lord, it's your word, it's not mine. And I just pray that you would help me to speak it as I should. And I pray that you would bless this time together, Father. I pray that if anyone's not saved here this afternoon, oh God, I ask that the gospel would go forth clearly and that they would trust Christ today before leaving this place. Thank you for your word. Thank you for everything you've done for us and your long suffering and your grace and your mercy. And we ask all these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, when we got started, I, I said that my title was the main thing, and again, it's the main message. It's the gospel message, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. But make no mistake about it, the most attacked and hated message is this gospel of Christ. And the fact of the matter is, is that we live in a sinful, fallen world that has rejected God, and that has rejected its creator. If you read a little further in Romans chapter 1, we don't have the time, but it gives you a pretty clear description. And when you read through that description, you can see, very, you can see a large amount of similarities with our current culture. We live in a world in which sinful mankind's, sinful mankind hold the truth of God And suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. They know Him as God, but they don't glorify Him as God. Mankind is not thankful with vain imaginations and a darkened, foolish heart. We live in a world and a society that professes themselves to be wise, yet are oh so foolish when it comes to matters of God. They have rejected their creator, and and instead of worshiping the creator, they have begun to worship the creation. We don't have to go so far as to talk about pagan religions. We don't have to go so far as to talk about exotic religions that worship animals and trees and nature themselves. We look no further than those who worship man. We live in a culture that is, is, is... is enthralled with self. We have social media campaigns that turn people towards self-love and loving of self. What can I get out of this? What can I do? We are told to accept everybody. We are told to accept them for their beliefs, regardless if those beliefs are against Scripture. It is no wonder that the gospel message is the most hated 
by this world and its evil systems. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul describes that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. This message of the cross has always been foolishness to those who reject it. And this rejection is nothing new. This hatred is nothing new. All the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament, man has been completely opposed to God. Rejecting God, turning away from God and rebelling against Him. Romans chapter 3 says that all are under sin, none are righteous, no, not one. There is none that seeketh God, all have gone out of the way. That their mouths are open sepulchers or open tombs. And that there is no fear of God before their eyes. There's no reverence for God before their eyes. And I think we could all agree that we would look around our world and see that today. Very prevalently. Since the fall of man and Adam's sin, the world has been corrupted. In Romans 5.12, it says, By one man who is Adam, sin entered the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. It's because of Adam's sin in the garden that we are all born with a sin nature. We are, we are born with an inherent desire to sin, to rebel against God. We are separated from God without Christ. We are slaves to sin without Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 says, We are dead in our trespasses and sin. And to summarize, we walked according to the course of this world. We fulfilled our fleshly desires. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us when we were dead in our sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And as I was sitting in the pew, Brother Darren, I heard you, heard you speaking about never forget when you trusted Christ as your Savior. Never forget when you were saved. Never forget who you were before. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, Paul runs through a list of descriptors of sins. But he tells the church at Corinth, and such were some of you. But you are washed, you are sanctified, but you are justified. And it's only through Christ. Here in this room today, all of you who are saved were part of this world system prior to coming to faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible describes you as a child of wrath. We were all children of wrath. We were all walking according to this course of, the, of this world, fulfilling the lust of our flesh, doing what we wanted to do, doing what made us happy, rejecting God, rejecting God's commands. We were of our father, the devil. But God, this isn't the title of my message you would think it would be, but it's not. 
<laughs> but God, right? At some point, you heard a message. At some point, you heard the good news of what Jesus Christ has done. At some point, you heard the gospel message. And you believed the gospel message. And when you heard the gospel message, and when you believed upon Christ for salvation, at least speaking from my own life, there was joy unspeakable and full of glory. There was a weight lifted, a weight of sin and guilt and shame that was lifted from you when you believed in Christ as your Savior. Not only that, everything changed. Everything changed in your life the moment you trusted Christ as your Savior. And this is the main thing. This is the main message, the gospel message. And so today, I want you to settle there. I want each one of you in your mind and in your heart to go back to the time when you trusted Christ as your Savior. I want you to go back to that time and and remember the days following that day. Remember the times following uh, when you came to the realization that you were sinful and that you were separated from God and that you are an offense to a holy and a righteous God. And that your only hope, your only way of salvation was through Christ and through what Christ had done for you on the cross. Go back to that day and think about that while we talk through this today. I want you to think about the gospel message because that's what we're going to be talking about. We're not going to just be talking about the subject of the gospel. We are going to be talking about the substance of the gospel. Many today preach about the gospel and how important the gospel is. And we have gospel music and we have gospel radio and we have gospel this and gospel that. But how often do we get into the gospel message itself? And the Apostle Paul, among all people, knew this very well. He knew the power of the gospel message. On that road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, where he met the risen Christ, and his life was changed in an instant, He never let it go. That was at the forefront of his mind, his entire service to the Lord before his head was removed in Rome. Before he died for the gospel of Jesus Christ, his one focus was Jesus Christ. His one focus was sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He constantly and and consistently gave it the preeminence every time he wrote a letter He would talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He would bring it back to the gospel of Jesus Christ and what Christ had done. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul talks about the fact that uh, no one knew me by my face, but they only heard that the one who persecuted this message was now the one who preached this message. What a change of heart. And it's only the gospel that can do that. It's only the working of God through the proclamation of the gospel that a person can be saved and forever changed. As believers, we have to come to, to faith. We've come to faith in the gospel, but oftentimes we can grow cold to the message that was once so warm in our souls. And so today I want us to look at a few points here in Romans chapter 1, 
as we go back to look at this main thing, this main message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the first point I want us to look look at is what is the gospel? What is it? What is the gospel message? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll explore this a little bit more as we move through. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I think before we start talking about the gospel, we should probably define it. I think we should probably look at a definition of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1. Moreover, again, he's towards the end of his letter to the Corinthians. He started off in in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 talking about the gospel. And now he's towards the end of his letter bringing the gospel back to light. Reminding them of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which ye also received, and wherein ye stand, by which ye are also saved. We are saved through the gospel. If you keep in memory that I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He arose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas, then the twelve. After that, He was seen above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this, unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, He was seen of James, then all of the apostles, and at last, all of He was seen of me also as one born out of due time. The gospel of Jesus Christ is God becoming a man in the person of Jesus Christ to come into His creation, the second person of the Trinity, fully God and fully man, born of a virgin. Born of a virgin, meaning there is no sin nature there. He is born of a virgin and lives a perfect, sinless life, completely holy, keeping the law of God that we could never do. Living a perfect, sinless life to go to a cross, to die, to pay for our sin, to take our sin upon Himself as our substitute. Our substitute. And He died. He paid for our sins on the cross. He took our punishment. He took our shame. And He took all the wrath of a holy God that was due to us. And He died. He, and He was buried and He was resurrected for our justification And after 40 days, he ascended back to heaven where he is seated at the right hand of the Father and the majesty on high, ever living to make intercession for us. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so now that we've quickly defined the gospel, now that we've quickly defined it, I want want us to go to our first point, gospel ownership. Gospel ownership. Who is the owner of the gospel? Who owns the gospel message? Who owns this glorious message of God? Verse 1 says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. It is God's gospel. It is God's message. God is the owner. God is the author. God is the originator of this message. He is the owner. Uh, An old English minister named Martin Lloyd-Jones has this quote. He says, it is, a great, it is a great announcement concerning the gospel 
It is a great announcement of what God has done. It is God acting. God has spoken and God has revealed a plan and a program. It is God's revelation, my friend. It is not what man thinks. It is not what a man aspires after. It is not what a man proposes. And it's ent- it is entirely from God. It is God's announcement, His program, and His revelation to men. It is God's and God's alone. It is His gospel message. And we have no right to change it. We have no right to mess with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is only one gospel. In Galatians chapter 1, if we can turn there real quick. Galatians chapter 1. My pages are stuck together. Galatians chapter 1. Paul writing to the Galatians. Verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or any angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Paul was including himself on that. Even if I come to you and I preach to you a different gospel, let me be anathema. Let me be accursed. As we said before, so so I now again, he says it again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you, then that which ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. This is God's gospel, and there's only one gospel. And yet we have plenty seeking to persuade men. We have many seeking to please men, changing the gospel of Christ, truncating the gospel of Christ, watering down this gospel of Jesus Christ. And even when they get the gospel correct, they get the gospel call wrong. God is the owner of the gospel. He is the author. He is the originator. And we have no right to mess with this glorious truth. The next point I have is gospel obligation. And as you move down through Romans chapter 1 and you come to verse 14, I want you to see this. Paul says, I'm debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. That, That word debtor there basically means obligated and an obligation. And when you think of going into debt, you think of I'm borrowing money from somebody, I'm borrowing money from a bank, and so now I'm in debt to that bank. Or uh, I'm borrowing money from a friend and now I'm in debt to that friend. But if that friend or that bank gives me money to give to somebody else, I'm indebted to both. That is what Paul is saying here. And it's the gospel that he's indebted with. He is obligated with the gospel both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. And when he says Greeks... And barbarians, the Greeks were more cultured. They were more academic. They were more of the elite, the high-minded. Uh, these, these were people that thought highly of themselves. They, they, they were off well financially. Uh, they were successful in the world as far as through the world's eyes. They were cultured. But the barbarians were the lowest of the low. 
These were the ones who were uneducated, uncultured, didn't have much money. I thought about it on the way driving here, and me and my family live out in the country, way out there in the country. And so I kind of thought about, you know, this is kind of like us living out in the country. We don't have much contact with people. But then you have the, the proper ones living in San Antonio in million-dollar homes that work in high-rise buildings every day. But Greeks and barbarians, they, they, these are two opposite people, two opposite sects because the Greeks look down on the barbarians. The barbarians get their name from their speech. The Greeks thought they had the speech of the gods, lowercase g, right? False gods. They thought they had the speech of the gods. They thought very highly of themselves, but the barbarians got their name from the way they sounded, which was bar, 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 bar. And that's how they got their name, bar, bar, barbarians. That's how they got their name. They were being made fun of. It was an insult. That changed my mind from when I was a kid watching Conan the Barbarian with Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's what I thought barbarians were, but no. And then he goes on both to the wise and the unwise. There's a parallel here. He's drawing a parallel to enforce the fact that the Greeks are wise, the barbarians are unwise, the cultured and the uncultured, the educated and the uneducated. He had an obligation to everyone to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, regardless of of how much money they had, regardless of their status or, or or their culture or how elite they were. He had an obligation to share that gospel. And we have the same obligation. We have the same indebtedness. We must not be silent about the gospel. I think of Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, verse 20, when they said, we can't help but speak of the things we, we have seen and the things we have heard. We can't help but speak of these things. It consumed their conversation. It consumed their life. My son has a huge thing with cars right now. And he is, he is into cars, and I love it because I like cars too. But we'll be driving down the roadway, and his first thing is, oh, I see a Corvette. And it can be a mile away. Or when I come home, he'll ask me, what kind of cars did you see today? That His conversation is consumed by cars because he loves cars. Before that, it was planes. I don't know what it's going to be next, but... Our conversation should be consumed with the gospel. Our conversation should be consumed with godly things, with godly things. And we have an obligation to share the gospel. We are indebted. What has been given to us through Jesus Christ, the gift of eternal life, we need to give to others. We need to present that gospel to others. And if they, if, if they reject it, then we move on. But that is what we are called to do. Mark 16, verse 15, you, you all know this well. Go, Jesus said, go ye into all the world and preach the, uh, the gospel to every creature. To every creature. And John, he says, lift up your eyes for the, field, the, 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 the fields are white for harvest. We are to be a witness for Christ. We are to go into the world and preach the gospel. We are to preach this message of Christ to the lost world. Not only to the the lost world, but we're also to, to give the priority as believers. Notice here in verse 15. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. 
We just got through talking about the fact that he was writing this letter to believers. Uh, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. And then he went on to talk about how great their testimony was throughout the whole world. These are Christian people that, that he is saying, I'm excited. I'm, I'm eager. I am ready to preach the gospel to you also that are, that are at Rome also. Meaning that there is a, an importance to us as believers preaching the gospel to each other, preaching the gospel to ourselves daily, reminding us of the sacrifice that was made through Jesus Christ. C.J. Mahaney in The Cross-Centered Life says this, If there's anything in life that we should be passionate about, it's the gospel. And I don't mean passionate only about sharing it with others. I mean passionate about thinking about it, dwelling on it, rejoicing in it, allowing it to color the way we look at the world. Only one thing can be of first importance to each of us, and only the gospel ought to be. It's a priority in our lives to, as believers to each other and ourselves. We should preach the gospel to ourselves daily. We should, we should study the gospel. And if I had one plea for you today, one plea for you today, if you're saved in this room, if you've trusted Christ and you're a true believer and you've been converted, my plea for you is to study the gospel, to get into the depths of the gospel. I don't, I'm not talking about just memorizing John 3.16. I'm not just talking about memorizing a gospel track. I'm talking about getting into the Word of God and studying from Genesis to Revelations to see the, the scarlet thread that runs through Scripture to point to a Savior at the cross of Christ. Because without the cross of Christ, without uh, the completed work of redemption, we have no Bible. Y'all realize this, right? Without the cross, we have no finished Bible. We, we, we don't have this, this Word of God in front of us without Jesus Christ and what He's done for us. Without the gospel, we don't have access to the throne room of God. We don't have a great high priest without the gospel. We don't have an eternal security without the gospel. We don't have assurance of any type of salvation or hope of salvation without the gospel, and all is lost. It's almost as if uh, when, when Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Christ be not risen, then our faith is in vain. Our preaching is in vain. Everything we do is in vain. Without the gospel, we might as well sell this building, divvy up the cost to the members, and go party. Because there is no purpose without the gospel. We have no faith without the gospel. And so it's a priority even for the believer to study the gospel, when we feel guilty for our sin, we have the gospel. We can confess our sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The reason why that is able to be so is because of the gospel. He is faithful and he is just. He is just to forgive us our sins because of what Christ has done. The just for the unjust. Verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so Paul talks, we, we see here a gospel obligation, which we spoke of. We see a priority amongst believers, but not only that, Paul starts to give some explanation. And the next thing we see here is a gospel boldness, a boldness 
for the gospel. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And we think about that in our own lives. And we think about this word ashamed. And we say to ourselves, you know what? I'm not ashamed of God. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I, I don't feel any shame for, for my Christian faith. But when you look up this word in the Greek, when you look up this word in the Greek, according to, to Vine's dictionary, it says to have a feeling of fear or shame, which prevents a person from doing a thing. And so there's a fear there. There's a hesitancy. There's a, there's a, there's a thought of not being accepted or being excluded or, or being just fearful of talking about this gospel message. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And we can look through his ministry and see that he really wasn't. He stood before kings. He, 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 he preached the gospel under threats of death. Even up to his death, he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can look down through history and we can see martyrs who have shed their blood for this gospel message, who would not bend, who would not break. We, we, we look back at the apostles and their deaths and how they were martyred for the cause of Christ, which should be a reminder to us that the Christian life is a call to die. We might not have to die physically, but it's a call to die for ourselves and if it costs us our life, we should be able to stand. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You know, we look, we look at these martyrs down through history. And we look at Bloody Mary. And how many Christians she burned at the stake. How many Christians were hung. To include children. Children were killed as well. For, for what? There was, there was doctors, there was lawyers killed by Bloody Mary. For what? for standing for salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Going against the Roman Catholic practice of works, of rites, of everything else, standing for the gospel of Christ. We've had people die for this cause. And so we should have a boldness. We should not be ashamed of this good news of Christ, of this glad tidings of Christ. Why? For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is gospel, this gospel is sufficient. Now we must look at gospel sufficiency. Do we believe the gospel is sufficient? And that is a question that we should all ask ourselves. That is a question I believe that the entire Christian, professing Christian community should ask themselves is, is the gospel message sufficient? Is it enough? Is it enough? It is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. That word power, we've talked about it before, is where we get our word dynamite in the English language. It's an explosive power of God. It is a power of God to, to basically explode a heart of stone into a beating heart of flesh for him who loves him, who worships him. It is the power of God who changes a life, who changes a heart, the heart of man. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 talks about the fact that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature. We are new creations. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. That does not mean you turn over a new moral leaf. That does not mean that, that, that you have some epiphany where you think, oh, today I'm just going to start being more responsible because it's a good thing in my life. 
I know a lot who, who do not profess Christ as Savior and spent their younger years partying and being wild and they go to college and be wild and come back and they get married, have kids, and then they kind of settle down and they start living a little bit more of a responsible life. Maybe not going out, maybe not doing these things. And so there's a shift. There's a shift there. But my question to you is, what is your heart's bent towards God? What is your heart's attitude towards God, towards the things of God, towards the people of God? There must be a heart change. And the power of God is the the, the gospel of God, which is the power of God, is the only thing that is sufficient for this change. It's the only thing that is enough. No other message, not man's philosophy, not man's opinions, not man's strategies or attractions, but the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of blood. And we have so many today in Christianity across the world that are trying to attract people with a message other than this gospel, with a message other than Jesus Christ saves, a message other than Jesus Christ crucified. We have other messages. We have other strategies, church growth strategies and surveys. And what would you like to have from our church? Let's send out uh, information to all these communities and see what they would like to have at our church. Let's try to have more to attract people in when the gospel message is is the only thing that can change the heart. And if you use carnal means to attract carnal men, you will have to keep carnal means in order to keep them there. It is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. It's the power of God to salvation. That word salvation means deliverance. What are we being delivered from? What are we being saved from? In short, we are being saved from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin. In reality, we're being saved from God's wrath. Through the gospel, we are being saved from God's wrath and eternity in hell. That is what we are being saved from, is the punishment for our sin, His justice towards us because of a sacrifice which appeased His justice. Jesus Christ, but the power of God unto salvation to everyone, to everyone. So it just goes to everyone. No, it's to everyone who believes. This call is open for the world. This call of, to come to Jesus Christ is open to all. But the, God, the power of God is only appropriated to those who believe. It must be a heart belief. It must be through faith in Jesus Christ. And we, we, we take this and, and we turn this and we twist this. And I will tell you from my own personal testimony that this is something that that I was saved three years ago. I was saved three years ago throughout my whole life. I have have known the gospel. I have known the answers to the gospel. I've been able to answer the questions of the gospel. I've been able to tell somebody else how to be saved. And yet this heart belief was never reality in my life. But we take this simple act of belief and faith and repentance and we turn it in to some type of creedalism, some type of creed where we have somebody repeat a prayer, where they come down to the front of the church and we run them through a couple of points of of really a truncated 
selection of verses that is not the full gospel of Jesus Christ, that makes no mention of of a holy and just God, that makes no sense of our sin and why we are guilty before God. They answer three questions. And then they're led in a prayer. They repeat the prayer. And then they're congratulated on being saved. And later, that kid, I'm thinking of kids because they're, they're the ones that it happens to the most. That young person then grows up, begins to have doubts about their salvation, and then they go back to the same person who told them they were saved and said, go back and remember that time when we sat on the pew and you prayed a prayer. Satan's just messing with you. Do you see what we've done? Do, do, do you see what's, what's happened here? And then we rush them to baptism. And then we present them to the church and we never see them again. There's no growth in holiness. There's, there's no appetite for the things of God. I know in the, I, I believe it was in the 60s and 70s. Sorry, I wasn't around then. But I, I believe that there was a big push for discipleship. There was a big push for, for that. And that's, those are all great things. We should disciple. We are commanded to make disciples and to teach all things that have been taught to us and commanded. But it, there, there was a skip. It was almost like, okay, you're saved, ready? Move on to this next piece of your life. And we wonder why we lose people, why people fall away from the Christian faith. We wonder why we've lost such a generation of young people. It's because the gospel is not being proclaimed. The true gospel is not being proclaimed. It is by believing. It is by trusting. It is in reliance. It's through faith and faith alone. It is coming to a realization that I am guilty before a holy and righteous God because of my sin. That I am separated from God and I cannot cross this chasm on my own. I have no hope of my own. I can't do it on my own. I have no merit of my own. I am nothing without Christ and what He's done on the cross. Through the cross of Christ is how we have salvation. And my only hope is to look to Him and what He's done through His, his, his sinless life, His perfect life, His substitutionary death, his, his death, burial, and resurrection is the only thing I can look to to pay for my sin and the person and work of Jesus Christ and to fully entrust all that I am, all that I have, everything, my hope, my future, my past, everything into His arms and fall and rest in the person of Jesus Christ. It is a coming to the end of yourself and resting in what he's done. Turning from the world, turning from your sin, turning from your unbelief and turning to Christ. Repentance and faith. Repent and believe the gospel. The gospel is the power of God and therefore it is sufficient. And it is open to all. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. We get that here because salvation was offered to the Jews first and then to the Greek. But the point being here is it's open to everyone. The call is open to everyone. Verse 17, we'll move on. The gospel sufficiency also is because in the gospel, for therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live By faith, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we see the righteousness of God on display. We see the justice of God on display. And it's a righteousness from God in reality. Because when and it's from faith to faith, when we place our faith 
in Jesus Christ, when we place our faith in the truths of the gospel and what he's done for us, we are immediately clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We fit this verse a lot when I come and, and, and talk, but it's so dear to me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll start at verse 17. The righteousness of Christ is revealed in the gospel. Verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Creature, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to it that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we in this room, everyone in this room, are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Here's what I want you to notice, verse 21. For he, God, hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. Christ's death on the cross was a substitutionary death. Amen. And on that cross, all the sins of the world, of the world, not just certain people, all the sins of the world were placed on the shoulders of Christ. They were laid on Christ. And he was crushed under the full weight and anger and wrath of God the Father. Our sin was, were imputed to Jesus Christ on the cross. And by faith, his righteousness is imputed to us. And so as we stand before God, we stand there no longer as a guilty sinner, but as someone clothed in Christ's righteousness. We are justified. We are made right with God because Jesus Christ was treated on the cross as we should be treated. And we are treated according to his righteousness. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? If that doesn't excite you, I'm sorry. Maybe I'm not communicating this good enough. But it excites me because he took my place. He took everything that I, I had and he made it possible. He did something I couldn't do for myself. I have no hope in myself. I have no hope in my last name. I have no hope in anything but him. That, that is who it is. That, that is. that is all there is, is Jesus Christ. And it's revealed from faith to faith. That is, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. I want you to know today that the same faith, the same salvific faith, the faith in which you placed in Jesus Christ to be your Savior, that's not the end of that faith. That faith continues throughout the rest of your life. He keeps you. He holds you. He preserves you. And we live our life daily by that faith. Because of the salvation that was provided to us 
in Jesus Christ. Go to Galatians chapter 2. I told y'all we were going to be turning a little bit. Galatians chapter 2. It's a verse a lot of you know. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We live by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. We hear those terms all the time. Which is why it's important for us to To be bold in the gospel. That's why it's important for us to preach the gospel to ourselves. To remind us of his finished work. Because it's God's gospel. And we have no right to change it. We have no right. And we have a right and and a, and a, a duty to stand up for any changes that we see or hear. We have an obligation to preach to the lost. We have an obligation to to share the gospel with the lost. We need to make it a priority in our lives as believers. It needs to be at the forefront of all we say and do. And we need to have a boldness because of the sufficiency of the gospel. We need to not be ashamed of it, not be hesitant to to, to let it be known, whether that be in our family, in our house, at our church, which is, you're probably saying, what? I thought that's what church is for. Not today. Not today. We should not be hesitant to share the gospel in our churches, in our Sunday school classes. We must have a boldness because it is the power of God unto salvation. And this message that we have, again, is an open invitation to all. And it's important that we get the gospel correct because if we get it wrong, we will have much to answer for one day. Brother Darren was talking about rightly dividing the word of truth and rightly dividing the word of God. And when Paul told Timothy to preach the word, preach the word, meaning don't preach your opinion. Don't preach your clever thoughts and your clever, clever conclusions. Just preach the word of God. And as our lives go on through this world and as we live out in this world, we must stick with the word of God. We must stand with the word of God. And we must stay with the Word of God and look for chances to share the gospel. Look for chances to invest in someone's life, to know them, to know them, and to invest in them. And so we look around our world in this evil world's system. And what I invite you to to realize is you were part of that. But through God's grace, you've been called out of that. And you've been saved. We're, at, we're coming to Valentine's Day, and I'm not a theme message guy. But I will say that if you love anybody, you will share the gospel with them. You will share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And lead them to Christ. And once you do, point them to a good resource. Point them to a good local church. Still have an influence in their life. Don't. Just leave them where they are. 